Um, I wanted to share with you as I got started, uh, uh, I don't know why I felt compelled to share this with you, but I wanted to share with you how I actually prepare for messages. Um, and I realize some of you might not be all that interested because you're like, I'm never going to preach a message, so I don't need to know. Uh, some of you might actually be interested because you might be feeling out a call that God might have on you uh, to be preaching His Word, teaching His Word one day. And so I wanted to share with you uh, how it works for me. And uh, generally at Genesis, we just walk through books of the Bible. We've been in the book of Acts now for the past, uh, better part of the past year. Uh, and so thankfully, I always have a text to work with. Uh, you know, on occasions at you know, Christmas, we got an incredible Christmas series coming up two weeks from now that I'm excited about. Uh, and uh, on occasion, we'll do topical series on relationships and uh, more challenging discussions uh, that we'll have on things like science and things like that. But generally, we walk through books of the Bible. And so I always have a text. And so my preparation honestly just simply looks like I read the text a lot. Uh, I read it again and again and again and again. Uh, I do a lot of studying of uh, commentaries and books on um, you know, if whatever the, to- the material or the topic or the subject's going to be. On an average week, I'll read anywhere between 150 to 500 pages on whatever that text might look like, doing as much studying and research as I can. Uh, I pray a lot. Um, I read the text some more. I journal a lot. I keep my journal with me at all times just in case I get a thought, an idea, and in my journal I've got questions and ideas and applications and illustrations. Uh, so that's kind of what it looks like. But I always ask uh, God one question. Uh, And the one question that I always ask God is just simply this. God, what do you want me to say? Because at the end of the day, I can read a ton and pray a ton and journal a ton and study a ton. But that to me is the most important question is, God, what do you want me to say? Because I'm convinced that you guys are here in this time, in this place right now because God has something that he wants to say to you. And so because I believe that, Uh, I've been asking that question for years. I started preaching in 1998. I was a youth pastor, and I remember my very first sermon about uh, 10 minutes before I was supposed to get up to preach. I was in the bathroom puking my brains out. I was so scared. I was so nervous. uh, And so I was, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but it was one of those puke sessions where I puked, cleaned my face up, uh, and I didn't have any, like, I didn't plan on puking, so I didn't bring a toothbrush, so I was doing one of those, like, those types of things. Walked out of the bathroom, I'm like, wow, I'm not done puking, and walked back into the bathroom and started puking, and that happened, like, two times. Uh, And the pastor came into the bathroom, he's like, Michael, are you going to be okay? And I'm, like, wiping vomit from my face. I'm like, yeah, I I think this will be okay. And I remember very clearly, 1998, the very first message that I preached, I asked God that same question, God, what do you want me to say? What do I know? I'm 24 years old, I'm a youth guy, and... uh, who am I to stand in front of anyone? Uh, And I felt really strongly that day that God wanted me specifically to tell people to get up. Uh, And the passage that I was preaching on that day was Hebrews chapter 12. And if you're familiar with that passage, it's a passage that just simply says, uh, run the race, run the race. Uh, And I just really sensed that there was people there that day uh, that were sitting on the sidelines. And I felt like God gave to me the message, get up. And for the better part of the last 15, 18 years that I've been preaching, uh, I always ask God that question. And I can't think of one time where God didn't give me something to say. Uh, And so I share that with you because what I felt like God wanted me to say this morning uh, was simply this. We have it up on the screen for you. Uh, I felt like what God wanted me to say um, uh, was, you don't need to understand uh, what I do in order to trust me. 
Trust my character, not your ability to understand the choices I make. Uh, let me read that one more time. You don't need to understand what I do in order to trust me. Trust my character, not your ability to understand the choices that I make. Now, I don't know, that might just hit someone really hard right now, because you're in a season where you're like, wow, I'm struggling, I'm dying right now, uh, and I can't trust God, because my situation, my circumstances is totally dictating my relationship with God, rather than my relationship with God dictating my circumstances and my situation. So that might just be for one person. Uh, it might not be for anyone here, and I'm okay with that, because it might be for next week or next month or next year, you will remember someone stood before you and told you, you can trust God. Whatever your situation, circumstance is, what I really sense God wanted me to talk to you about and tell you this morning is that you can trust him. You might not understand all that he does uh, or doesn't do, but our ability to trust God is not rooted in understanding his plans. It's rooted in his perfect character. Um, I think everyone would say yes to this question, but have you ever been confused by what God is doing? I think all of us would say, yeah, uh, I know I have. Uh, you know God's doing something. You can tell he's at work, but if you were asked to articulate uh, to somebody else what God's doing in your life, you'd be like, I have no idea. I know he's doing something, but I can't even put words to what it is that God is doing in my life. And you've just been at a place of confusion, and you just don't know. You have no idea what God is doing. So my next question would be, when you're in that place, and I'm going to venture to say, some of you might be there right now. You have no idea what he's doing. So when you're in that place of not knowing what God is doing, my question for you would be, what do you do? When you don't know what he's doing, and you can't articulate it, you can't give voice to it, what do you do? For some, I'm guessing you just go into freakout mode. You worry, you get anxious, you get upset, you get frustrated. Maybe you just begin to doubt, or maybe it's honestly just a combination of all of those things. And what I really wanted to drive home today is just, do you think it's possible? Do you think it's possible that you could ever get to the point in your life where you could say, you know what, I just, I trust him. Regardless of what's happening or not happening, whether it makes sense or doesn't make sense, regardless of the situation, I'm, I can trust him. I know for me, my heart just jumps at that. I'm like, yes, that's, that's where I want to be. I want to be the guy that just says, I trust God no matter what. Even if things are just looking completely dark and bleak and no answers, no hope, I'm not going to let my situation determine my ability or inability to trust God. And so my hope for this morning, we're going to look at a story, a phenomenal story in Acts chapter 12. And I'm just going to assume that all of us are here this morning and would say, yes, that's me. I want to be the man or the woman that just trusts God. I don't mean blindly. I mean, I trust God because I know God. I don't need to understand what God's doing or not doing, but I know him, and because I know him, his character, I can trust him all the time with all things. Uh, if you have a Bible, uh, open up to Acts chapter 12. Andrew, would you mind getting me a tissue, please? Uh, this is Acts chapter 12. Baby's got me all messed up, and I'm... <laughs> this is Acts chapter 12. Um... Before I head into Acts 12, here's the context of Acts chapter 12. 
amazing things are happening in the church. Uh, this is bringing us back to what's going on in Jerusalem. But the church has just grown from a few people to 100 people to countless numbers of people. Thousands of people are now in the church. Uh, but, thanks, Andrew. Wow, I didn't need the whole box, but you think I'm going to cry a lot today. That's good. Um, thanks for turning that down there. <laughs> Um, amazing things are happening in the church, uh, but as, as amazing things are happening in the church, so is persecution. So the church continually is being persecuted. Uh, Christians thrown in prison, Christians are killed. And as we turn the, 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 the story in Acts chapter 12, uh, the individual that is in charge of uh, Jerusalem right now, the Roman uh, governor who is in charge, is a man whose name is King Herod Agrippa. And as I've studied King Herod Agrippa this week, really all you need to know about him is he was just psycho. He was a messed up, evil man. Uh, he was evil. His father had been killed by his grandfather, and his grandfather was King Herod the Great. And if you remember anything about King Herod the Great, he was so threatened when an infant boy named Jesus was born, and it was told that this boy, this boy would be king he decided that he was going to issue a death sentence and become a serial murderer um, and kill all of the infants, all of the baby boys uh, that were born right around the time that Jesus was. And unfortunately, King Herod Agrippa just followed in the footsteps of his great-grandfather, uh, King Herod the Great. And so he's now in charge of the Roman uh, providing security, as it were, governing what's happening in Jerusalem and this is the context, uh, Romans chapter 12. About this time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. And he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. That means his head was cut off. And when Herod saw how much this pleased Jewish, the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. That's 16 soldiers watching one man. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others uh, stood guard at the prison gate, and suddenly there was a bright light in the cell. And an angel of the Lord stood before Peter, and the angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. And then the angel told him, get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was just a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. You ever have one of those dreams that you wake up and you're like, I don't know if that actually happened or not. It was such a powerful, powerful dream. This is what's happening to Peter. He's thinking what's happening right now is just a dream, but he finally wakes up in verse 11. He finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent an angel to save me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. And he knocked at the door and the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind. 
You're out of your mind, they said. When they insisted, when she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, then finally opened the door, and they saw him, and they were amazed. And he motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. And then Peter says, tell James and the other brothers what happened. James was the half-brother of Jesus, the author of the book James uh, later on in the New Testament, um, the one who would become also a leader in the church. Tell James and the other brothers what has happened, he said. And then he went to another place. At dawn, there was, such, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him, and when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Herod Agrippa put his guards to death because of something called the Justinian Code. And the Justinian Code was, whatever the sentence or the fate of the prisoner is will become your uh, sentence or your fate if this prisoner gets away from you. So I know that he wasn't just on staying in prison for the night. Uh, the intent of Herod Agrippa uh, was to put Peter to the sword, just like he did these 16 guards. So obviously a lot could be said about this story, but as I've sat with this story and read this story many, many times, what I honestly felt God was telling me to tell you is that you can trust him. Regardless of what life looks like or doesn't look like, whatever the struggle, the pain, the confusion, the frustration is for you right now, I want you to know that you can trust him. And I hope that would be your heart's desire to say, I want to trust God. So I want to ask the question of how, how do I be that man, that woman that just trusts God? Not because things are good, uh, but because I know God and I can trust him. So I want to be as practical as I can and answer the question of how, how do I trust God? And as I've been sitting with this, uh, how I want to go about answering that question is I have three questions for you this morning. I want to look at the question of what was the church doing? If I'm going to learn how to trust God, I want to answer the question, what was the church doing? Secondly, what was Peter doing? And thirdly, what was God doing? So those are three questions. As we answer those, that's how I'm answering the question of how do I trust God? What was the church doing? What was Peter doing? And what was God doing? All right, so let's start with the first one. What was the church doing? Uh, have you ever dealt with uh, just the frustration of unanswered prayer? As best as you can tell, you were just being faithful. Uh, as best as you could tell, you have been praying for not just a good thing, but as best as you could tell, a God thing. And you were praying for A, and Z happens. Like the complete opposite of what you had been asking God for happens. You ever dealt with that? You're praying for something, and as best as you know, you're doing the right thing, the thing that God wants you to do, and you're asking for A, and you're trusting God for A, but then all of a sudden, God answers with Z. And you're like, what on earth is this? I was asking for this, but I got that. So if you've ever dealt with that frustration, that disappointment, you now have a little bit of insight to what was happening with the church right now. Do you know how painful it must have been for the first century church to be praying for James when he went to prison and praying, God, would you see fit to save this man and rescue this man, get him out of prison? God, he was a man that walked with Jesus. He was one of the first ones to follow. He's a leader. We look to him. If they were fervent for, in prayer for Peter, 
Do you think they were doing the same thing for James? They're asking for A, and then they get B. And B, or Z is the head of James, his death. Can you imagine, if you can, just for a moment, how hard that must have been for the men and women who were praying so fervently for something to happen, and the result was God didn't rescue him. God didn't save him. God didn't see fit to get him out of prison, get him out of his execution, as it were. So when God doesn't answer your prayer, when you're asking for A and God gives you Z, what do you do? Are you inspired to keep praying? Are you like, man, I'm so excited. I didn't get A. Z, I just, I love Z. So I'm just going to keep praying. Or is there something in you that says, what is up with this? God, and you start having all sorts of doubts and fears and questions and disappointments. And rather than continuing to pray, I know for me, my first reaction is not to keep praying. My first reaction is to stop praying and just soak in frustration. When I ask the question, what is the church doing? Here's what the church was doing. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. And this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads, four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed earnestly for him. What I'm so thankful about what the church did is rather than just say, you know what? We did this with James and it didn't work. We prayed for James. He's dead. This whole prayer thing is just not working. So we're going to get some like Jack Bauer types and we're going to, we could take 16 guys out. Like it's just 16. So rather than trying to come up with a plan on their own to manipulate an outcome that they wanted, what I love about what the first men and women here did in the early church is we can pray. The only thing that we can do is pray. Do you think they were at all confused as to why God didn't answer their prayer for James? I'm guessing they were pretty confused. But they did not let what they didn't understand prevent them from doing what they did understand and what Jesus had told them, what God had told them is, never stop praying. Keep praying. If you would be one that is trusting God regardless of what you see or don't see, what you understand or don't understand, if your trust would be rooted in God, then no matter what happens, you keep praying. And I can tell you with all confidence, God answers prayer. You might not like how God answers prayer, uh, but God's answers to prayer is consistent with his perfection, with his holiness. And I would be the first to confess, it does not always make sense to me. But I do know this, it does not need to make sense to me in order for me to trust him. That's the first thing I learned from what the church did. They fervently stayed in prayer uh, for Peter. And this might be a little bit of a, a rabbit trail, and so I'm not going to go off too far. Uh, what I love is not only that they were fervently praying, but they knew exactly what to be praying for because they knew exactly where Peter was. As soon as Peter was taken by Herod Agrippa, 
they called the men and women together and said, we need to be praying for Peter because they knew exactly where Peter was. And as I was journaling about this this week and just thinking about it, uh, I was just, I, I came up with a question. I was really thinking about it. Um, who knows where you really are right now? Who knows where you are? Because there's a lot of people, I'm convinced of this, there's a lot of people who would love to be praying for you. They just have no idea you're actually in prison. And I don't know what your prison might look like, uh, but my heart for you this morning was to just tell you, to encourage you, get known, tell somebody where you are so that that somebody can begin fervently praying for you. Many of us don't have people in our lives praying for us, not because people don't love us and don't want to pray for us, because they have no idea where you are. Peter, he was in prison. They knew exactly where he was, and they knew exactly how to pray, and so they prayed. So I wanted to encourage you, tell somebody today, Tell somebody this week in your community group, tell your spouse, husband, a wife, a friend, a girlfriend, a boy, tell somebody where you are. Get known, get found out so that somebody can begin praying for you like the church was praying for Peter. So how do we keep trusting God when we don't know what God is doing? We keep praying. We keep praying and we keep praying. Um, the second question that I'm asking, we've covered is, what was the church doing? They were praying. Uh, what was Peter doing? Okay, what was Peter doing the night before his trial and his execution? Okay, if you remember the story, I'll read it to you in a second. But what would you be doing? <laughs> if you knew that you were going to die the next day, how many of you would be sleeping that night? How many of you would be resting so well, sleeping so well, that when the angel of the Lord shows up, he's got to poke you hard to say, get up, man, get up. What was Peter doing? He was sleeping, okay? Uh, this is Acts 2, or Acts 12, verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers and others stood guard at the prison gate. He's laying down. He's got his hands shackled to two Roman soldiers next to him. And what's Peter doing? He's sound asleep. So as I consider that, I really was asking the Lord the question, God, how is it that Peter is able to sleep so soundly the night before his death? And I wanted to share with you three things in response to that. I'll go through them quickly. But again, keep in mind, I'm asking or answering the question of how do I trust God regardless of what I see God doing or not doing? Peter was able to fall asleep the night before his head was going to get cut off. How was it that he could sleep? First thing I tell you is this, Peter trusted in the promises of Jesus. Peter trusted in the promise of Jesus. Okay, you might not remember this promise, but I promise you, Peter did. Before Jesus left, this is what Jesus said to Peter in John 21. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. 
Jesus said uh, this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. I honestly believe Peter remembered that Jesus told him, you're going to be an old man. And Peter at this point in Acts was still a young man, still in his at best mid-30s. Why was Peter able to sleep so soundly the night before he died? Peter trusted in the promises of God. Now, clearly, uh, God's not giving me a promise that, Michael, you're going to live to a ripe old age, and no matter what happens, uh, don't worry about it. He's never given me that promise. So why did Peter get that promise? Well, this is already Peter's third stay in prison. And this was not the first time that Peter had undergone physical persecution all to the point of death. So if someone needed to be reminded that, Peter, I have a plan for you, you are going to be a leader, a preacher, a pastor, a shepherd, and the church is going to continue to grow. If someone needed to be told, but I want you to know, Peter, you will be old one day. Well, Peter needed that promise because there would be many times where he would question, God, what's going on? Because I'm about to die. And so I honestly believe why he slept so well is Peter trusted in the promises of God. Now, that might not be your promise, but it was for Peter. And so the question would simply be, what are the promises of God that are shaping you in your ability to trust God? And if you're struggling to think, I don't know what promises God has made to me, you just have to read the Bible because they are filled with promises of God for you. It's not that God has not made promises. We just don't know what the promises are. And so when things are coming and happening to us that are just not making sense, we don't know what the promise of God to us. So we just get scared and we have sleepless nights. As I was thinking about it this week, uh, I would have to say uh, the promise of God to me that has shaped me probably the most is Matthew 28, verse 20, where it simply says this, and be sure of this, I'm with you always. I can't tell you how many times I've banked on that promise. Jesus, you promised that you would be with me no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, no matter what's happening, no matter how grievous my sin is, no matter what I is, God, you promised you would be with me. I cannot tell you how often that verse has come back to encourage me. Like, I'm with you. Why are you freaking out? Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Why are you so scared? Don't you remember that I told you I'm with you? There's no place you could ever go where I would not be there with you. That's the promise that has most shaped me. What would be the promise that has most shaped you? Peter slept really well because he trusted in the promise of Jesus. I'd say a second reason why Peter slept so well that night, Peter's past enabled him to trust God with his present and his future. Not the first time God had seen fit to break Peter out of jail. It's actually his third time. It was not the first time where Peter was in a situation where he was way in, he has nothing he could do, but God intervened. And I don't think Peter forgot that. I think Peter remembered all that God had done for him in the past, and as he remembered what God had done for him in the past, it completely shaped his present and shaped his future. 
if he had seen God provide for him, then Peter was able to use what God had done before and say, God will continue to do that. He will continue to be faithful. He will continue to provide. Do you have a good memory? I think most people uh, would say, I don't have a good memory, but I think you do. I think our problem is we have selective memory. (laughs) I know for me, I've actually got a pretty good memory, uh, but I have selective memory of what I choose to remember and what I choose to somehow ignore, neglect, or forget. And in the times where I'm just confused, disappointed, upset, and wavering on whether I'm really going to trust God in this situation or moment, I get flooded with memories of feeling frustrated, disappointed, and all of those things, rather than choosing to remember all of the times that God has been faithful to provide and care for and protect and lead and all of those things for me. If you would be one who trusts in God regardless of what's happening or not happening, you will have to have a memory that chooses to remember what God has done for you. Um, This might not be your thing, and that's okay, but it should be. You got a journal. This is my journal, and it goes with me everywhere I go. If I'm having lunch with someone, breakfast with someone, this journal stays by me. This journal sleeps next to me on my uh, nightstand just in case something freaky happens in the middle of the night and God chooses to wake me up, I want to write it down. And so I just have dozens of these moleskins of memories and thoughts and questions and prayers and scriptures and ideas because I know that in the moment when I'm asked to trust God, I will have selective memory and forget. And what journaling does for me is, no, Michael, don't you remember God provided for you there. God led, for, led you when you didn't know what to do. And so by writing these things down, it helps me to remember, no, God has been faithful. If, again, if you don't journal, uh, I just encourage you to do so. And because I believe so strongly in it, we put journals out for you. If you don't have one, there's one waiting for you at the communion table. And if you're a girl and this is just too boring, then go to Barnes & Noble You can get a much prettier one for about 20 bucks, Um, but if this is okay with you, then take one with you today. But don't have selective memory. Have a mind that remembers. I love how the psalmist says it in Psalm 77. If you can, read this psalm in its entirety later, but I want you to hear the pain of this psalmist when he says, is his unfailing love, is it gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And then I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt like that? Like, God, where are you? Why am I here and where are you? But then the psalmist doesn't stop there. He says this, but then I recall all you have done. Oh Lord, I remember Your wonderful deeds of long ago, they are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty, mighty works. You want to know why Peter slept so well? It's because he remembered that God had provided for him in the past, and he was encouraged that God would provide for him in his present and would uh, provide for him in his uh, future. The third reason of why I would tell you Peter slept so well, and I really, please write this down. Peter had a core conviction that God cared about him. He had a core conviction that God cared about him. I think the reason he slept so well was because he was not confused as to how God felt about him. 
I'm sure Peter was not thrilled about his situation, but I don't think he had any confusion or question as whether or not God actually cared for him. And I know I've been there, and I've met with a ton of people who have been there, is when things are not looking good, when things are confusing and hard and disappointing and discouraging, the first thought that often creeps into your mind is simply this, God must not care about me, because if he did, he would not be letting me go through this. Peter slept really well because despite being in prison, chained to two guards with 14 other guards nearby and about to be beheaded, he did not question whether or not the living God cared for him. Peter, towards the end of his life, now as an older man, pens this in 1 Peter, and he says this, give all of your worries and cares to God. Why? Because he cares about you. That might be the only thing you hear today, and if it is, I'm okay with that. Uh, but I just want you to hear, he cares about you. He absolutely cares about you. Your situation might say differently. Your circumstance might say differently. The relationship you're in or not in might say differently. Your job might say differently. Your marriage might say differently. Your family dynamic might say differently. But I just want you to know, regardless of what Everything else is screaming. I want you to know the message of God from God to you is that I care about you. He cares about you. Not because of what you've done or haven't done. That's because who he is. And I think Peter slept incredibly well that night because I think it probably went something like this. God, I cast this anxiety upon you. Good night. I think what happens is when we pray, we pray, God, I want to give you this fear, this worry, this insecurity, this hurt, this disappointment, discouragement, this pain. And then as soon as we pray and say, God, I'm giving it to you, we take it right back. And the way we take it right back is we start getting freaked out about it. We start getting anxious and worried and scared. And God's, wait, didn't you just say that you gave that to me? Because I think Peter slept well because he said, God, I give this to you Good night. I mean, he was sound asleep. The angel had to poke him to get up. Peter was convinced that God cared about him. I wanted just to ask this question. Um, is there something that you're carrying right now that is not meant for you to carry, but it's meant for you to give to God, but you won't give it to God? Whatever it might be, I want you to just write it down on the prayer cards uh, that are in the chairs in front of you. And I want you to post it on these prayer frames when you come to celebrate communion. Because if you are carrying something that is not meant for you to carry, a hurt, a disappointment, a frustration, a future that you just can't make sense of, you're not supposed to carry that. You're supposed to give that to God and say goodnight. So whatever it is, would you write it down? And would you allow other people in this community to be praying for you that you would not pick it up again, but that you could sleep well, rest well, and just say goodnight? Third question was this, what was God doing? We've looked at what uh, the church was doing, they were praying. We looked at what Peter was doing, uh, and Peter was trusting in the promises of God. Peter was remembering his past, shaping his present and his future, uh, and he was convinced that God cared about him. That's what Peter was doing. But what was God doing? Uh, and the simple answer to that question uh, and write this one down, immeasurably more. He always does. 
He always does immeasurably more. I promise you there probably was not one person who was like praying, God, send an angel, poke Peter, tell Peter to get dressed, put on his coat, put on his sandals. Then God, allow the chains to fall off. Let him lead somehow very stealth down the hallway so no one sees him. Then open the iron gate. I don't think they were praying that specifically because I just don't think they would have known to. But they were praying. And what God was doing was, guys, I'm going to do so much more. And when you hear the story of what I did, you're going to say, I can't even believe Peter's here. God wants to do immeasurably more. We know what the church was doing. We know what Peter was doing. But often what we forget is what God is doing. And you might not see it. You might not know it. But God is doing immeasurably more in your life right now. And I will not let what I don't see or what I think I do see determine whether I can trust that truth that God wants to do immeasurably more so that his name would be glorified and his people would be encouraged and more people would come to know who he is. They could not recognize what God was doing, but God was still at work, doing immeasurably more. Church, they prayed. They prayed. If you want to know how to trust God despite not understanding what God is doing or not doing, you got to pray. You got to be relentless in praying. Join us on Wednesdays to pray. Pray with your community group. Grab someone today and say, hey, could you just start praying with me? If you want to trust God, you pray. If you want to trust God and you just, it doesn't make sense to trust God, remember his promises, remember what he's done in the past, start writing it down, and remember that he cares. Because I promise you, you will live in a world and a culture and other relationships that will just tell you he doesn't, uh, but God wants you to know he cares about you. And one of the things that's been most inspiring to me in my journey is even though I can't always see it and I certainly don't always get it and understand it, I am so convinced that God wants to do immeasurably more. And so my prayer life has just taken a radical turn of asking him for more. And I'm like, no, I know, God, I can't out-ask you, but I'm going to try. And I've seen God do amazing things in me. I've seen him do amazing things in my family. And I've seen him do amazing things here. And God's like, Michael, I'm I'm so not done. I can do more. Don't let what you don't see or don't understand get you believing the lie that I'm done. Trust the truth that I can do immeasurably more.